Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. Amen. Thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at two classic Christmas passages this morning. We're going to start in Matthew 1 and go to the other one in Hebrews chapter 6. So if you'll have your Bibles open to Matthew 1 and Hebrews 6. You say, Pastor, I didn't know Hebrews 6 was a classic Christmas passage. It may not be classic, but it is. It's a wonderful passage. It talks about one of the gifts that God has for us. 22 years ago, 22 years ago, one of the uh, more impressive buildings here in uh, West Columbia was finished. And uh, was open for the first time for people to go in. And somebody may say, what are, what are you talking about, Pastor Gore? You may be talking about this, this auditorium, right? Well, 22 years ago, this auditorium was finished. But there was an even more impressive building. And that was the playhouse that I built for my children. And I worked, got that thing ready. And it was a similar Christmas to this Christmas with incredibly frigid temperatures. But we got it finally finished off. We had little uh, furniture, different things in there. And this was not your average playhouse. This, this playhouse actually had a, had a foreman whose other job was building this a multi-million dollar building. And his second job was helping me on that, uh, on that playhouse over in my backyard. Two stories. It was a wonderful playhouse. Our entire family, it was big enough, our entire family took a nap one time on the second story. And that's pretty impressive. Now you have to remember that back uh, 22 years ago, we didn't have seven people in the family. It was just four of us. Uh, five of us back then, but we, we did that. And as we got that, I was so excited on Christmas morning. Uh, Day had all the different things laid out. They had the stockings, they had the presents, and then Dad had his big reveal, the big gift for my daughters to go and look at. Now, Bailey was less than a year old. Holly and Kelly were two and four. And it was probably in the teens or colder. And so mom got them all bundled up. And I don't know if you've ever seen a toddler bundled up. But when you get a toddler bundled up so they can go outside, they can no longer move. They're pretty much just standing snowmen. But we got them all ready and said, okay, come out and look at this. And I was so excited for my daughters to see this playhouse. I had all these wonderful pictures, the things that we're going to go through. And they were going to cheer. And, and, and they were going to say, you're the greatest daddy ever. And they were going to love me forever. They walked out, peered in the little bit of room that they had between their scarves and stuff around their face and up their eyes. And they kind of both looked at it like this. And then they turned around like this and waddled back into the house. And my wife looked at me and she kind of frowned and said, well, they'll love it one day. And I remember thinking that that was not what I expected from all of this work that I put into it. But they just weren't ready yet to enjoy the playhouse. Plus it was about seven degrees outside. One of the things about Christmas, we love giving gifts, but then there's always a fear that one of the gifts we give or a gift that we give won't meet expectations. Has it ever happened to you? Have you ever gotten somebody a gift and, and they were just so excited? Now, that's never happened to my wife. Every gift she opens up, she is so excited about before she even knows what it is. Just as she's opening, goes, oh, this is so nice. And, you, and she just, just loves it. But for many of us, you've done this. You've opened a gift, you've given it to somebody, and they went, hmm. Or, huh, what is that? Is anybody, have you ever had the, the gift exchange? How many of you ever had a family gift exchange? You ever did that where you had, your family could get together and you exchange gifts and everybody, uh, now different families do it different ways. But when people open up your gift, you don't want people to go, oh no, if they get your name in the family gift exchange, right? You want them to think, oh, I, I can't wait for so-and-so because they give wonderful gifts. I want to talk to you about a wonderful gift that many, many Christians do not fully enjoy. 
In fact, it's a gift that God is very, very concerned about that he's given to you. And it's, it's surprising that people don't understand how important it is. And this gift is shown to us there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. If you have your Bibles open, we're going to read one verse. And then we're going to go over to Hebrews 6 and look at this. And the title of the message is The Underappreciated Present at Christmas. Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted is, God with us. We sing Emmanuel, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and we hear this word. We have churches named Emmanuel, and sometimes we forget the wonderful joy of what it is to have God with us. Now, what is this gift that we're talking about? We're talking about God with us. In Hebrews chapter 6, we find out something about God. Many of us have an opinion of God about he wants us to live right. He wants us to do certain things. He wants us to accomplish his will. He's got these different things laid out for us. But there's actually something that is so very, very important to God that he spends numerous times talking about it. And yet many people miss it. In Hebrews chapter 6, it's interesting. God says in Hebrews 6 verse 11, he says, We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That word, full assurance of hope unto the end, that just kind of floats by most people. Now, the writer of Hebrews up to this point has been talking about the importance of not drifting away. And he's talking about the many different ways that Christians sometimes drift. And this is one of the key areas that Christians often drift away in. And they drift away in that area of hope. And look what he says in verse 12. He says, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, when we're talking about drift and we're talking about drifting away from God, most often I think most of us would think about a drift away theological or a drift away from something that is the true meaning of the redemption of Jesus Christ and the redemption through his blood and the gospel of the grace and the goodness of God. But this is not what he's talking about. He is talking about drifting away from hope. Now, when we're talking about hope, and I don't know if you've seen this, but hope is a word that comes out a lot at Christmas. Hope and joy and peace and different things that come out. When we're talking about peace and talking about joy, sometimes we have an understanding of what that is. But hope often gets defined different ways. And I want you to know there's, there's a number of different ways. If you're not thinking biblically, if you're just thinking about hope, if you use the word hope, how do you use the word hope? Well, sometimes we use the word hope as a feeling of desire for a certain thing to happen. And that feeling or that desire actually will breed expectation. I hope I get this for Christmas. I, I hope that my family has a good time together. I hope that this year will be special. And this hope, this feeling or desire actually will breed this expectation. And so that's what a lot of people would say when they use the word hope. Sometimes they'll say to cherish or desire something with anticipation, to want something to be true. So I hope, I really hope that this year, you know, Uncle Zed won't, you know, do what he did last year. I really hope that this year that all the kids will be able to get together. I hope that this year that, that we'll, we'll get along for the Christmas time and this desire. But when we're talking about biblical hope, and I know, that, I know this is something that you're familiar, familiar with, but I just want to remind you, the biblical hope is something a little bit different. It's not an expectation or something that may be true. It's a looking forward to something that we know is true. So it could be a future objective reality that you long for. Looking for the blessed hope, uh, Paul tells us in Titus. That blessed hope is the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the looking forward to heaven, our hope being toward heaven, is not that we hope that maybe one day it will happen. The hope is that it will happen and that it is coming soon. It's kind of like a vacation. It's kind of like time off. Uh, those of you that have ever tried to teach young people the week before vacation, whether it's Christmas vacation or spring break or summer vacation, their hope is in the reality that school is going to end soon. 
And that hope being firmly based on that reality has changed their desire. And it's this future objective reality. But also, there's another way that God uses this. And this is what he's talking about, I think, primarily here in this passage. He's talking about a person or event that gives you confidence and surety and peace. In other words, it's this, it's this presence of an individual that settles you. That gives you hope. The, the best illustration that I can think of is most of the time when my children got hurt, if Dan and I were both around, who do you think they would run to? Me or, or Day? Day. You guys are still awake. You're still with me, right? Why would they run today? Why wouldn't they run to Dad? What do dads typically tell children when they get hurt? Rub some dirt in it. You'll be okay. Little blood never hurt anybody. You'll get over it. No big deal. They run to mama because mama is, it's not just that mama is their hope. They're not saying, I hope that mama will be kind to me when I show up with a boo-boo. Okay? It is that as soon as something happens, their heart turns toward their hope and their hope is in mom. Now, can that be changed because of our sinful nature? Yes. I think every parent in here has seen a child fall and has ducked behind a closed door or something to try to get out of sight so that the child will look around, see that there's no parent around, oh, there's no point in crying, I'm just going to go on in life. How many of you have done that, right? You know what I'm talking about, where they fall, they look around and you're, you're trying to avoid, or they fall and you go, hey, it's okay, it's all good. But we, we look toward that, that blessed hope. But here is the thing, Jesus Christ was given to us to be our hope. Now, there's many different hopes that you can put your hope in. And I want to challenge you this morning. There's, there's a lot of different hopes that we can put our hope in. We, we can put our hope in something changing in our country, something changing in our physical body, something changing in our relationships with other people. We can put our hope in a marriage improving. We can put our hope in a relationship with a child improving. We can put our hope in numerous different things. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but understand that God has given us a hope that he wants us to stay very, very close to and not drift away from. The past few months, our church has been through a lot. We've seen a lot of individuals face and struggle and go through difficulties with hope. But what Jesus was sent to us in Matthew chapter 1, when it said God with us, the hope that was given to us was all of the things. The desire for a future, the hope of an expected end, but also a person to comfort, to strengthen, to challenge us. And I want you to see this in Hebrews 6, verse 13 and following. We'll look at it, and we'll close up, and then uh, hopefully be challenged to not settle for a substitute hope, for a hope that looks to something less than the precious hope that God has given to us. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this time this morning. Help it to be a profitable time, a challenging and encouraging time for each and every one of us. Lord, many of us just think hope is something that is supposed to every once in a while show up. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see the hope that we're supposed to live in as Christians, how we're supposed to exist as individuals. Lord, teach us, draw us near. The precious name of Christ. Amen. Hebrews 6.13. This is right after uh, Paul, or the, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews. I think it was Paul. A lot of people don't think it was Paul. But he says, we desire that everyone of you, in verse 11, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end. Now he's going to explain why. So down in verse 13, he says, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely... Blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So here's what God is saying. God is saying, listen, God gave Abraham something to hold on to. And what he gave Abraham was promise. Now, when he talks about promise, this is 
more of like an, an area, not just a promise. He's talking about all of the promises, but he doesn't use the plural. He's basically saying he gave Abraham promise. This idea that Abraham, you follow me, I'm going to bless. That was the promise. You follow, I will bless. That was the first thing that he gave him. But then he said, he swore. Now, when we hear the word swear, we usually think of something bad, but in Bible times, and we still, times today, we will swear an oath. When we go to testify, we will swear an oath. We'll swear in the Bible. You will hear people sometimes swear, say, I swear in my mother's grave, or, or I swear on this. And it's talking about swearing an oath. And this oath is what the writer of Hebrews is about to address here. He says in verse 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things. What are the two immutable things? The first immutable thing that he gave to Abraham was, starts with a P, ends with Ramos, promise. So the first thing he gave to Abraham was promise. Have we been given promise? Now, have we been given multiple promises? Yes, absolutely. Multiple promises. We're not going to talk about all the different promises of God this morning, but, but Abram was given many promises in in Genesis 12, 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, to a land I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation and will bless thee. Down in verse 14 of chapter 13, he said, After Lot was separated from him, lift up your eyes, look from the place where thou northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it. And then down in chapter 22, verse 15, God gives another promise. The angel of the Lord called to Abram out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. Verse 18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So here are some of the different promises that God gave to Abram. He said, listen, I'm going to do all these different things. Now, I'm not going to go through, I was, I was going to go through a bunch of different promises in the New Testament, but those aren't the, the things that I want you to get this morning. There are many different promises, but I think we miss the importance of what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us here when he says this. Back in verse 17, he says, God willingly, more abundantly to show, which means God wanted to really get across this idea. He didn't want us to just know that he was going to promise something and that it was going to be fine. That wasn't enough. He didn't just want us to say, okay, God promised, good, that's it. Because God was abundantly willing to make sure that we knew that his promise and his counsel was something that should absolutely surround and direct our life. So he confirmed it by an oath. Verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So this is what this is saying. This is saying one of God's passions for you, folks. And get this. One of the the things that I can confidently stand up here this morning and tell you is not just that God wants you to live your life to the end of your days with the hope of eventually going to heaven. He wants this hope to absolutely overwhelm you. He wants this hope to be unwavering. He wants this strong consolation to absolutely be something that pulls you along in life. He does not want it to be something that you have to every once in a while think on. He wants it to be the driving force. There's a lot, you say, well, Pastor Goldworth, I don't really know if, that, if that's absolutely true. If somebody could actually have one thing that would be the driving force of their life that would direct their thinking to one thing and kind of, kind of push everything else out, I'd say, well, you've, you've obviously never been around folks that were planning for a, a wedding. 
you talk to folks as they're playing about for a wedding and they're talking about different things and there's different stuff that comes up and you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. They are this hope, this confidence, this I'm about to start my new life with somebody. It, it, it colors everything they think about. In fact, I try to have my premarital counseling early enough with someone when they say, hey, we're going to get married and I, I find out the date. I try to start premarital counseling very, very early on because the closer you get to the wedding date, the less people here. They basically come in, they're happy, they're about to get married, and you're trying to sit there and tell them, listen, you're not always going to be happy in your wedding, in your marriage. And they look at you and go, maybe you aren't, but we are different. And then they look at each other, and little stars start to twinkle from their eyes, and violin music begins playing in the background, and I'm sitting there talking to them, and I've lost them. And I say, no, no, believe it or not, at one point in time, you might even be mean to each other. And they look at me and they go, silly preacher. You know not of what you speak. Our life's going to be perfect. And, I, I keep, and so sometimes it's almost discouraging. I'm sitting there trying to convince them that everything's not going to be perfect all of the time. But if you can get to them a little bit earlier, if it's not just a few weeks, if it's not just a few months before the wedding, you can sit down, you can start talking, and they will listen. And see, there are times when we are driven by hope, when we are driven by this expectation. And God says, I want you to know this hope so strongly that it directs you. And that is the hope that should be pervasive in our life. Not the hope of a physical malady going away. Not the hope of your presidential candidate making it into office. Not the hope of the, the individual that's giving you a hard time, you wanting to get out of your life. Not the hope of passing a class. Not the hope of getting a certain trophy or the hope of getting a certain car or attaining a certain thing. He says, listen, I want you to hope in one thing. And this is so important to God, and this kind of points out some things about him that we don't hear. We know that the Bible tells us in Timothy that God was given to us for a hope. In 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of our God and Savior, and our Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. In Romans 15, it says now, and this is probably something you've very rarely referred to God as. But Romans 15, as Paul is finishing his letter to the Romans, he says, Now the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. You see, God just doesn't want you to live right and serve. He doesn't, he doesn't just want you to go through the motions of a worship service and, and, and try to develop some type of theological or spiritual love for him. God wants you to be filled with hope. He wants you to live every moment of your existence thinking on the reality that you are now with Christ, that Christ is now with you. And if you look at all of his promises, all of his promises come back to the realization that God has been given to you to accomplish great things. He wants your hope to be strong. Let me ask you this morning, is your hope strong? I mean, I, I know it's Christmas time, there's lots of different things going on, but is your hope focused, it's so strong in God that it's not focused, I mean, I hope I get this for Christmas? I, I hope this happens. I, I hope that the Lord will do this for me. Is it a strong hope? Is it a compelling hope? Did you come in this morning to worship, not because it's Christmas, not because it's Sunday, but because you were compelled by that hope? Because you were excited by that hope? Is it a, is it a clear hope? You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews six nineteen, it says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that veil. 
Now, we know what an anchor is, but I want to give you a picture. I don't have time to really lay this out, but there are two ways of looking at this. Many people and many writers, they have the picture. You know what an anchor is, right? An anchor for a boat. You take the anchor, you throw it over the boat. It needs to be steadfast and sure. Steadfast means it's locked in. Sure means it's tied on right, okay? And so it's going to be steadfast. It's not moving. It's not dragging along the bottom of the the lake or the river or whatever. And sure, it's tied on the boat and it's holding you solid. And some people say, okay, this is the picture of our anchor going into and it's held into the veil. It's gone into the Holy of Holies and it is held in Christ. And that's not a bad picture. But there's also the idea that the anchor comes from the veil and anchors us. In other words, it's not that we're tied to the veil. It's that God has tied us to him. It's that he has anchored. And what is that anchor? That anchor is our hope. Our hope is Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, listen, I want you to understand and have a reality that dominates your thinking. And that's the whole purpose of the message this morning. When is the last time that Jesus Christ, your union with him, has directed your thinking? We've already talked about premarital counseling. How about the married folks in here? When is the last time your hope in Christ has directed your relationship with your spouse? When is the last time your hope in Christ has directed your relationship with your neighbors? Sometimes you have good neighbors, sometimes you have rough neighbors. How about your coworkers? When's the last time that the compelling hope, that the unbelievable hope that God has given you by giving you Christ has given you the response, ability, the ability to respond the correct way to life's difficulties? Because the hope. You know, it's an interesting thing. Every year we go to North Carolina and hang out at the beach with my family, my extended family, my brother and sister and my brother-in-law and all their kids and now grandkids. And, and we go out there and we hang out. And it was an amazing thing. The closer that we would get to that, the less things would bother when my kids were little. Teachers could say, we're going to have a test. doesn't matter we're going to have a test because after that, we're going to the beach. Teachers could say, well, hey, when we get back from vacation, we're going to be doing this and this. And they would say, well, it doesn't matter because we're going to the beach. And basically everything that came along, nothing could change. Now, I would love to tell you that that's the way mom and dad were. Mom and dad, we were stressed because we were trying to get ready for the beach and we're trying to get things. And and so it wasn't as directive for us because there was so much more involved. But the illustration is of the child who knows, hey, this is what is true. This hope is what is directing my response. And so when the teacher says, hey, we're going to do this. Okay. Because I've got a hope. And God says, I want you to have such a sure, sure foundation. That's your hope. It's not fragile. And too often at Grace Baptist Church in the last few months, we've seen a fragile hope. A hope that was anchored in something other than Christ. And I want to challenge you this morning. Are there things that you have placed your hope in instead of Christ? For some of us, I am confident for some of us, we know what it means to hope in Christ. But I know that for some of us, this is a theory. This is a theological possibility but not a reality. And we've put our hope in different things. Sometimes we put our hope in doctrine. I I very much love to make sure that I have the truth and I have the right thing down. You know what? God does not tell us that he wants us to make sure that we live our life simply by knowing that we have every T crossed, every I dotted, and every theological question answered. And you know what? 
We don't. Now, you may not be used to having an independent Baptist preacher say that. Because usually we're pretty confident and we know the answer to everything. But we don't. God doesn't say, I want you to live solely in truth. I want you to live solely in obedience. He says, I want you to live in hope. Some of us, we've put our anchor in saying, okay, I know that we have the right thing. Some of us have put our anchor in the circumstances of our life. And for some of us, that's an easy place to put an anchor right now. Because we are healthy, because our kids do love us, because there is no division in the family, because there is no struggle. But for some of us, difficult times, that anchor has become less steadfast, less sure. That person you thought would never turn their back on you, that person that you thought would never cause you difficulty, has opened a door that you never thought would be open in your family, in your life. Sometimes we put our hope in doctrine, sometimes in, in ease of life. But sometimes there's some storms that come along. Have you ever faced a storm of doubt? That's something that we don't often talk about as Christians, do we? Where you read something, and this little voice inside your head goes, Really? 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 And you're scared to go to somebody and go, Well, I know that God said this, but really? Because we're not, we're not supposed to be there. We're, we're supposed to have the answer and say, Yes, we don't, we don't have any doubts. We don't have any struggles. But if you're honest with yourself, there's been times when you've heard a little kid singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, that little voice goes, really? Really? Sometimes the doubt, the storm of doubt floods over. Sometimes the storm of defeats. If you're a Christian and you've tried to walk with Christ, more than likely you have sinned and disappointed yourself. Not just disappointed God, But you thought, okay, now I've got this conquered. Now I've gotten past this. Now this area of selfishness, this area of pride, this area of laziness, whatever it is. Okay, now I've finally seen it. It's come roaring back. And you've just kind of plumped down on the couch and thought, well, I guess this is just me. I guess this is just the way I live. I guess I'm just a disappointment to my family. I'm a disappointment to my church. I'm a disappointment to my parents. I guess I'm just a disappointment. And that storm of defeat has welled up and has rocked that anchor. Because your hope was in your life attaining to a certain level of spirituality. Maybe you've placed your hope in some of the good gifts that God has given us. And your hope is in your kids. Your hope is in your marriage. Your hope is in your family. Your hope is in something else. But these other things that God has given us of gifts, instead of them being the source of our hope, they're supposed to just be his blessing. And we've placed all of our love and all of our hope into this area. And here's what God is saying in Hebrews 6. I have given you promises and I have given you an oath and I can swear by none greater than me. That's what Hebrews 6 is saying. We swear by the Bible. Basically that's meaning, listen, my word is as true as the Bible. When God said, when he went to swear, he could swear by nothing higher than himself. He said, so I'm going to swear by myself because I want you to have the promise and I want you to have the oath so that you have the hope. And I want to look at just one promise. This, this hope that he got is not the ability to hold fast, but it's the enabling power to hold fast. We have a hope, and we have a stability. And the greatest stability we have, folks, I believe is an area that we do not mind very deeply in the Christian life. And that is why we read Matthew 1. God with us. One of the things that I found out that was strangely harmful to my marriage 
was that I cannot exist without my wife being there. If she leaves town, I can't sleep. I don't feel well. I'm a miserable person. But when she comes into town and she's in the house, her presence calms me. I feel complete. I know that she's around and I'm so happy I forget to talk to her. And she says, I don't know why I even hang around. You never talk to me. She says, you don't even want me here. And I think, oh no, I've got to have you here. The first time I figured this out, she left, she took the kids, went up north. And I kid you not, I did so many projects. I rescreened the back porch. I planted this. I, I, I built all kinds of stuff because I was going on like half an hour of sleep because I would lay down. I can't sleep if my wife isn't with me. I can't rest if my wife isn't with me. But when she is with me, She's so comforting that I ignore her. And that's just wrong. But that presence makes me complete, content. Do you know that Jesus Christ was given to us to fulfill every one of God's promises? All things are yes in Christ Jesus. And yet so many Christians... Do not exist with the hope of God with us. Listen to just a few verses. Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Just stop right there. Boy, can't a doctor get us to forget this verse? You ever walked into a doctor's office and they said, okay, you've got this cancer, you've got this and immediately we forget that we don't have to fear because he is with us. Be not dismayed. Oh, have you ever been dismayed? I went to Harbison Christmas Eve. Man, did I get dismayed. Wow, was I dismayed. We get dismayed in traffic. We get dismayed when a little difficulty comes with us. He says, fear thou not. Why? So I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Deuteronomy 31, the Lord said, He that doth go before thee, he will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Joshua 1, 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God with thee, whithersoever you go. Then we already read Matthew 1, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Do you know what the most amazing thing about heaven is? When you read Revelation 21, it says God himself will dwell with them. And God has given that hope to us right now. He wants you to wake up tomorrow morning not thinking, oh, my back hurts. Oh, this cancer is getting rough. Oh, uh, my lungs can barely draw this breath in. Oh, I've got this house to clean. Oh, he wants you to wake up tomorrow saying, fear thou not. I'm with you. He wants you to go into work with that boss that gives you every hard issue in your life. Not being dismayed. Say, why, why are you so happy? Don't you realize we've got this, this, and this? Yeah, but you have to understand, I've got this as well. 
And in his great commission to us, and this is what we'll finish with in Matthew 20, 18, 28, 18, he says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, and that word lo is behold. Behold. That's a surprising thing. I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And what I want to challenge you with this morning is simply, do you have that eternal blessed hope? That overwhelms what the doctor says, that overwhelms what the spouse says, that overwhelms the decisions that the children make, that overwhelms the stupid things that you do in your life, that overwhelms everything else. That hope takes you and grabs you and directs your life and directs your thinking because it is a strong, compelling, desirous hope. The God that you serve does not want you to exist. He wants you to be overwhelmed with his hope. So, Pastor Goforth, how do we do that? You don't have time to go into all the different things. But let me just remind you, draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. If you're here this morning, you've never experienced that hope. You're in the middle of a fearful time right now. You're struggling because of something that's happening physically. You're struggling with something that's happening financially or something that's happening in your family. Simply say, Lord, I want this hope. Meditate on the hope that he offers. Look at some of those different verses that we talked about this morning. Meditate on those. Think on those. Think what it would be like if he was actually there, if he was with you as you went through each one of those because he is. And remind yourself the good and glorious hope and enjoy the present of his presence. Enjoy the unbelievable present of his presence like you've never enjoyed before. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We have a number of visitors, and I would be remiss if I did not give an opportunity. If there's someone here that says, Pastor Goforth, I've never met this Jesus. I don't have this relationship. I've heard about him. But I've never never established what you're talking about as far as this this hope. If you're here and you say, Brother Goforth, I'm not sure of of my standing with Christ. I don't know that he knows me. I don't know that I know him. I don't have that relationship. And I'd like you to pray for me. If there's anyone like that, if you'd simply say, Pastor Goforth, pray for me. If you'd slip your hand up anywhere. No one's looking around. I'm not asking anybody to come forward at this point. We'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure of my relationship with Christ. I'm not sure of my eternal place with him. I have not seen a hand. So here's what we're going to do for the invitation. If you're here and didn't raise your hand, you want to talk to somebody about Christ, our pastors are here at the front. They're ready to talk to you. They would love to talk to you. If you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you to step forward. Let us take our Bible and let us show you how you can know Christ. But if you're here and you struggle with this hope or there's a particular area that wipes this hope out, There's a particular thing that you worry about. There's a particular thing that overwhelms you. And instead of being careful for nothing, you are careful for this one or two or five things. And let me encourage you during this invitation to simply pour your heart out to God and say, Lord, I want to have that kind of hope. You wrote this passage of Hebrews for me to have this kind of hope. Lord, I am simply saying I desire to have a clear, compelling, strong hope. 
of the absolute presence of Christ in my life. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to have a word of prayer. The piano is going to begin to play. If you'd like to come and pray here at the altar, you may. Or you can sit there at your seat. You can kneel there at your seat. But again, if you're here, if you don't know Christ, come forward. Let us take our Bible. Let us show you how you can know him. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. I ask that you direct our thinking to the reality of the hope that we have in Christ. We love you. In Christ's precious name. Heads bowed and eyes closed as piano plays, you come. Lord, we thank you for the reality, Lord, of the presence of God in our life. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit, Lord, that allows us to know your Son, that allows us to know your Word, that allows us to draw close. Lord, we thank you for the many, many unbelievable gifts that you've given us. Now, Lord, I know this is a busy time and a busy season. I'm sure that many folks have other plans for this day. But, Lord, help us not to walk away from this desire. Lord, yes, you put in your Word that you desire us to be holy that you desire us to serve others, that you desire us to do many things. But Lord, you have clearly stated that you desire for us to be driven by this hope. Lord, I pray that we would truly be a hope-filled church, a hope-filled Christian, Lord, to be lights in this community. Thank you for your gifts to us. We love you. In the precious name of your Son, our Savior, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for coming. We are glad you're here. Do we have a couple of quick announcements? Because I know that if there's anything that you want right before you take off on Christmas Day is a couple important announcements. So Brother Martin's going to come with a few announcements and then we'll be dismissed. Brother Chris. All right. Well, it is nice to have all of you here. A couple of little ones he mentioned. He also did, he didn't mention uh, the Coxes. Philip Cox is with us for Sunday on the first time. So excited to have him today. Uh, don't forget, next Sunday is still the same schedule as today. So one service, 10 o'clock. We do have Wednesday service this week. There is no Awana. Uh, the youth group will be meeting in here. So just want to remind you of those things. Uh, church and school and daycare close tomorrow and Friday. Uh, if you didn't pick up your tithing envelope, you can get those in the lobby. Uh, of course, if you're an GCS alumni, sign up for those kinds of alumni events coming up on the 14th, Jeannie Slayer's retirement on that day as well. And then, last thing that I'll mention this morning is if you're interested in going to the Christmas lights with our Senior Saints group, you need to see Tracy Edwards this morning. There are just a few spots left. They're going on Tuesday uh, this week to see those lights out of Slough.
religious souls. And so I think that's all, like, like Pastor says, some brief important announcements on this Christmas Day. You have a wonderful day. Merry Christmas to all of you.